We live in a world plagued by pornography and people are looking for help. When an individual struggles with pornography, they often turn to their church leader for that help. How does a leader help a person overcome the shame of this issue and start seeing positive progress? How can a leader help youth to open up about struggles with pornography? What are some lasting, proven tactics that actually make a difference? In order to help, Leading Saints has created the Liberating Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of those most popular sessions are available to watch now. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org slash liberating. My name is Jerry Chong from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I serve in the Varsity Mandarin branch as Elvis Quorum President. I support and trust the things that I've heard on Leading Saints podcasts in that their approach has been to be people, to be humans and not as callings and to treat people as humans and, and as friends and being very down to earth and truly listening to the members and understanding how to help and encourage them to progress in the gospel as well as being useful and of use within their ward. This is a How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast, where we talk all things leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. In fact, that's our mission as a 501c3 nonprofit organization is to create content that's going to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And these How I Lead segments are interesting because we look for everyday going individuals who've been asked to serve and lead in specific callings and then just ask them, how is it that you lead? In this episode, we have the opportunity to talk with Donald Kelly, who is actually a fellow podcaster himself. He produces the Sales Evangelist podcast. In fact, that's his business. He does a lot of consulting and training in the world of, of sales. And uh, that would be for a fascinating interview in the How I Lead world, right? And it was just that. Donald is a former bishop, just released uh, not too long ago, and has some great perspective and ideas, and even some ideas that you might consider old school. But these old school ideas maybe we've gotten too far away from when this tech savvy world and we've left these practical old school ideas behind that could possibly maybe help you a lot so keep your ear out for those ideas related to binders and, and whatnot but uh, fantastic leader dynamic leader lots of lots of energy and uh, perspective and advice so here is my interview with donald kelly Today, I have the opportunity to connect with the powers of the internet with Donald Kelly. How are you, Donald? You know, I am doing so well, Kurt. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you as well. Yeah, well, I'm uh, excited to finally connect. Your name has been one that's uh, been passed around in my email from various people. And <laughs> and I think you've even, haven't you even had a cameo in some church videos at one point? I've had LDS Living. We've done a couple things with them and and you're a marketing guy, right? Like what, uh, what do you do for work? So we have a sales consulting firm in South Florida and uh, we teach a sales principle. So helping individuals and companies and uh, sales teams become effective. So people will, in, if it's a consulting side, they will have us, if they don't have a sales process, um, look to our team to help them develop a sales process and help their team have a, a structured thing they can follow, usually for our smaller clients. And the larger clients, they want us to do training or uh, to come in and 
send our sales reps to one of our programs to improve their skills, whether that's using social selling skills, LinkedIn, or sales mindset, um, how to think or work under pressure, or sales foundation, how to learn how to sell to other B2B companies. So nice. Fun. Love it. And uh, everybody loves in, in the church, everybody loves a good conversion story. And, and you joined the church, I think, if I remember right, in your teenage years. Maybe give us a brief uh, rundown of that story. Yeah. So I was 14. And I had a friend who was talking about scouting. It was in Mrs. Flores's class, um, National Junior Honor Society. And <laughs> my brother, who is uh, was is five years younger than I, he was in elementary school, and they were he had just joined Cub Scouts. And we were both talking about camping, and he was like, "Man, we get to do all this stuff." And I'm like, "Man, I want to do that stuff too." But I was too old for the Cub Scouts; I couldn't join their troop. And then my buddy had mentioned this idea of, you know, we have scouting and we have, you know, Tuesday night basketball. What prompted Dane to do that? I think it was they were talking about missionary work at uh, in church, you know, just opening your mouth, right? Just all it is. So Dane opened his mouth in National Junior Honor Society. And I put it off because I was like, ah, I knew I need to get back into a church, but I didn't. I mean, it's fun to not do anything to be lazy, right? So I didn't <laughs> want to... Yeah. I didn't put it as a priority. And I mean, I'm a 14 year old kid for goodness sakes. At that point, church wasn't necessarily a top thing, but I just knew it was nagging me that I needed to go to church or get back into a church. And a Pentecostal church I was going to with an older friend was like a big brother. He had moved to New York was they, they preach like, you know, 2000, the world's coming to an end. So this is like a 1999. <laughs> I'm like down to the last wire, man. I better get my stuff in order before <laughs> I burn. And it, either way, I mean, it, the point is that stuff was just weighed on my mind that should I get my life right? And should I, um, and also the cool factor, this is a scouting that I could take part in and be around other youth. So I started to go to church with Dane Easter Sunday. So it's funny that this year, whenever you're listening to this is falling Easter Sunday falls on general conference, I believe. Hmm. And that's what yeah. was, I went to church 1999 on Easter Sunday when president Hinckley was speaking at, uh, on that on the conference. And I was watching that and, and, uh, on the way to church, my buddy was mentioning this idea of Book of Mormon. I was like, what is that? And he's like, I got two people who can explain it. And he and his mom, they uh, brought me to them, introduced me to the missionaries, and I started taking the lessons. I've always tried to find them. So whenever I do these public things, I'm trying to figure out if those missionaries are out there, it'd be great to connect with you again, if you remember yeah. me. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice. Do you remember their names? Oh, or? man. I have to go back into the scriptures. One of them, though, that eventually did work to help me get baptized, uh, Elder Hendricks, but I do have communication with him. He was, oh, cool. well, I went through several sets. My mom didn't allow me to get baptized right away, which was another part of that story when I started with the missionaries. It wasn't because of any animosity towards the church. It was just the fact that growing up as a kid in Jamaica, like, and, and just in Jamaica, culture you get baptized when you're all right i'm done messing around i'm done sinning so now it's like i'm going to and which is the case but it's like this idea like you know have fun you're a teenager you're your youth you do that make that decision when you're mature and older as an adult so to speak and she couldn't contemplate the idea of me making such a, a significant promise to god at that point um with her christian background so she anyways allowed me we america hendrickson and um Hendrickson, some of the other missionaries, we had fasted, but we fasted with the youth. And since I was going to church as the most active non-member and act more active than some of the members at that point, since April down to December, we did a fast because she wanted me to wait my mom till I was 18. And then she said 16. So this was still would have been, you know, a year later. So she, um, then, uh, we fasted and she allowed me to get baptized 
And it was amazing. And that's when I threw a testimony of fasting because anyone know those, my mom, she wasn't going to budge, but it was prayer and it was the fast and having that over the next, you know, over, it was literally that week or that day. I just can't remember. I have to see if, I don't know if I journaled that, but it was remarkable how quickly she said, all right, well, change your mind. Let's get baptized. You can get baptized. And yeah, that was a, the story. And I kept going to church since then. So was it tough when it came time for a mission? Was that tough for your mom to to uh, think about? We were driving in a car and I remember I was 16 at the time and we were coming home from school and I told her in the car that I was going on a mission when I was uh, 19. And she said, no, you're not. You're going to college first. Because again, with the Caribbean heritage, you know, education is like paramount. You, it's, you, that's mm-hmm. the reason. I sacrificed to come to this country so that you all can have opportunities you're going to college. And that wasn't an argument. I was going to college. She just didn't contemplate the idea that it wasn't. So it was like, you pick your battles at the right time. So I think she figured out, yeah, let this thing phase out. He's got three years before that happens. He's going to college. So it came down to 18 and I did apply to college like I was supposed to and went to one of the most prestigious schools in our county, uh, Dreyfus School of the Arts. And it's a magnet program. And so now I had the, I did apply and I got accepted to BYUI at the time. And so she was like, all right, well, kid's going to college, but she's, he's also making this, this mission thing is important to him. And I remember having that conversation with her. She said, if whatever makes you happy, makes me happy. And yeah, so that she, she gave her blessings, but at this point I was gonna, it was gonna go anyways. But, um, so she gave her blessing on that. And it was funny that when I was on a mission, she always was, telling her friends, like, you know, this is my son, he's out on a mission, and so forth. Uh, I actually went to Rosa Parks' funeral. I served a mission in Detroit, and it was in my area uh, at the time where the funeral was held, so we were able to go and get a program. And big shout-out to Elder Maples, if you're listening to this, who gave me the program. He and I, he was on exchanges with me uh, that day, and he was like, you should have this. So um, we all, there's only one left that they were able to get. So we got a program to Rosa Parks' funeral, and I was able to take pictures and send back and, you know, she loved it and just took it and shared it with her friends and told everybody. So oh, that's super awesome. proud of that. That's awesome. Now, uh, obviously uh, having a podcast around uh, leadership, we'll jump to your, your time in leadership. You were called as, I don't know, was it, did you feel like you were a young bishop at the time? You were 31? Yeah. And historically, I mean, in the church and then historically in my area, most of the bishops were, you know, older than that. And then plus I look super young. Um, I'm not saying that to like be trite. I just uh, wish sometimes to look older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I look young anyways, but at 31, I mean, I thought I was young in comparison to all the bishops. There was one of the bishops that was younger and that was uh, Scott, his friend of mine, Scott Romney. And he was called at 27, 27 in the stake. And I was called at 31 and then there was a, after us, there was another bishop called that was young as well, Stebbin, Bishop Aravena. And he's also around my age as well. But the point, though, it was we were young in comparison to the folks that were gray hair or that were, you know, are compared to us being our, old enough to be our dads and, and so forth. So we were the baby bishops. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And this leads into, uh, you know, one of the principles that you, uh, that you, that you sent me and because I, I wanted to approach this interview with your background, sure. you know, as in, in sales and training and whatnot, I'm intrigued by how maybe some of that has spilled over to your time as a leader or, or how you leverage it or, or ways that we could improve that way. And, and you talk about this concept of 
the, the challenge of developing leaders in the church? Where's a good place to start <laughs> with that principle? <laughs> you pick, man. And there's so many different <laughs> spots with that. Uh, probably the easiest spot to start would be you know, calling leaders and giving them directions to succeed. Did you feel like, was this sort of a uh, principle that you found like that you were lacking in your own experience or that you started applying as you were called into leadership? Unfortunately, I one of my leaders throughout my church experience and a mentor, his name is Steve Hatch. And Steve said to me when I was doing my Eagle Scout that you should look to leaders that were good and look to the leaders that were bad. And I'm like, what? And he said that your bad leaders, quote unquote, the ones that you were not most effective, what did they do that could have been better? And then the ones who were great, what did they do that was great that could be improved on? And I adopted that idea. So from teenage years, I kept applying that concept throughout my, my life. So, and I'm, you know, again, fortunate to have good guidance and, and, and good uh, folks that was able to help me mentor and guide me. But I do feel in a lot of the callings that I receive, is someone without the proper initiatives can have a challenge to succeed in their role. So from my experiences, I've had those callings where I got a, you know, you got the, the, you got the blessings, so to speak. You're the, you're, here you go. You just got called to this position. And then now your job is to fulfill that as an eldest corn president. And oh, by the way, um, just use the handbook to figure out what you're supposed to do. And that was <laughs> yeah. always anyone who served in the eldest corn presidency role or any roles in the church, you know where I'm talking about, coming from with this, where it, you can go to the binder, I mean, to, to the handbook, but does it really give you the exact detailed direction? And I know sometimes you might say, well, you know, only a lazy and soft servant needs to be directed in all things. And that's not necessarily the case in a situation like this. We want to make sure individuals are successful in their job, in their roles, and we can go and we can pray, and we can go and we can follow the handbook. But there's something about having that guidance by someone to get coached in that calling to be able to be more effective. And I made mistakes, uh, you know, a lot of mistakes, um, and that's where I've been able to learn from those. But taking, imagine if we were able to take those mistakes and be able to help someone coming up after us by saying, avoid these pitfalls or these paths. Obviously, lead, but let, you know, listen to the spirit. But here are some fundamental things that can help you to be successful in the role. And I can tell you that for me, it it wasn't there. Or you got callings that were brand new. Like I remember I was called to be a quartermaster when I was a non-member, <laughs> as a because they you know given even they couldn't baptize me yet, but they they gave me a calling or responsibility with scouts. And I was super excited for that, Kurt. And I still go to the same building. So I have some of my labeling on the scout closet. <laughs> oh, nice. so it was fun to see that every once in a while. But the point though, is I had to learn and I had to get guidance because I didn't know what to do. Otherwise, sometimes members who they receive these callings, they, or assignments, they just, it becomes almost like a, a title calling rather than someone that's, uh, you know, actually a calling that they're actually fulfilling and doing and feeling um, well to do. And sometimes people are not necessarily, they don't have the skills, they have the spiritual capabilities or the spiritual aptitude, but they may not necessarily have the skills to do those responsibilities. And we can do more. And I've seen the church over the years evolve to um, help provide that. If you look at the new website, the website now, the Church of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. you can see that some of those, your callings now are broken down with a little bit more details that it hasn't been um, and some more trainings there. 
So it sounds like, I mean, the, the challenge of, of developing leaders comes from just the fact that there's not a strong tradition of that training step, you know, as somebody's called, it's just sort of like, here's the handbook or figure it out or do what the last guy did. <laughs> but maybe it's more of being more intentional of, of really giving them good, solid direction or mentorship as they go into a, a calling. Yeah. And I think especially in, in South Florida, in our makeup in this area, we are just, I mean, we are in a, in a lot of parts of the world, no matter where you're serving. Like when I served in Detroit as a, on a mission, we can, it's no cor- you know, no argument there. There was a leadership deficit because in the city we had a lot of, um, you know, branches and these branches, you members are strong. And that's why we had obviously the senior missionaries. And then at one point they had, um, the, the mission, the mission and the, or the district at the time had members from outside of Detroit coming to Detroit to help develop, um, the leaders that were there. And so you may have lived out in the suburbs, but you were called to serve in the branch as mm-hmm. a eldest corn president or whatnot. But those things, um, was, was helpful to develop the leadership and now I think all the Detroit from a number of maybe 10 years ago now, the Detroit stake or Detroit area, they have their, it's like its own leadership pool that was developed and strengthened. But that idea of developing those leaders and cultivating, guiding them, mentoring them so they can stand on their own is, is something that's important. Um, and it doesn't matter where you are. It could be church in Salt Lake or in, you know, in, or in Vernal, Utah, or even to place like West Palm Beach, sometimes you have those, you have leaders that we, we don't want to use the same 20% of people over and over. We need to strengthen the pool so that we can have some of those other individuals that may not be as, you know, if you want to put it in the sense, like a, it may not be to be able to call to fulfill the role yet. How can we still give them the right guidance and, and help and a training so that it can be effective in those roles? Yeah. So is there anything you did, you know, as your time as a bishop or maybe in another calling where you were more intentional with, with training or implementing some of those leaders into their, their calling? Yeah. I mean, and uh, so think about it like this. We have a lot of uh, folks that in, if you would say in the, in our area, in our ward, not many individuals had the, you know, executive type experience in their jobs. And it's, that's not requisite for to you to be effective in your callings. But when somebody has that, those work experiences, a little bit more of that, those executive roles or leadership or management capabilities, it makes them easier to be able to manage a team of individuals or an organization. And if you look at it, like say a Relief Society president or eldest quorum or young man or young woman or primary president, being able to help those individuals to know how to manage a group so that a group can be effective is important. So we decided we use the handbook. And if you look in the handbook at the time, and also still to this day, they have the, you know, obviously the idea that you need to each, it's even more so today, it's molded towards local circumstances, right? And, and so forth. So following those principles, what we did, we took, printed out the, a, the person's calling and we gave them a binder and we wrote them a letter explaining that this calling came from inspiration. And uh, then we were able to give them some, uh, you know, print out what they were receiving from the handbook. Like these are some of the things you're supposed to do. And then kind of supplementing that with our local circumstances. Like if you're, you know, say for instance, a primary is a Sunday school teacher, obviously, you know, you need to prepare a lesson and come to the class, you know, prepared, but we gave them other things. So how can you make sure your meetings are effective as a Sunday school teacher? You want to plan the day before, reach out to students, uh, to attendees 
to pick somebody to do a prayer, have uh, people share insights um, and give them you know specific ideas with that. How can you enrich those class um, moments? And we would give all, all that resource and give them training. So instead of now we're telling you, but we try as much as possible, instead of saying, well, now, Kurt, you're called as a Sunday school teacher, go to the wolves. We try to offer as much training as possible. And then when the church came out and started doing the come follow, you know, come follow me or teaching them the Savior's way, that program, we adopted and kept using that so we can continue to help those members, those leaders to actually hone their skills and to improve. And one those that were in management, quote unquote, roles, managing a, an, an auxiliary as a president. And we had those leaders that n- maybe never led or didn't have any type of management skills before. What we decided to do with that was to continue emphasizing the one-on-ones. And I don't know how many people do one-on-ones, but every role in our ward, we ensured that they had one-on-one. So whether it was me and my elders quorum president or me and the Relief Society president, we did those meetings religiously. And the same thing with like a primary Relief Society president and her counselors, making sure those roles or those one-on-ones were taking place because then we could identify challenges that they're facing. And instead of someone getting burned out and feel like they don't have the support, they can get that guidance and that mentorship that they need. So having that binder that they received with the how they can succeed in their role and then having one-on-ones, we are able to help to ensure that our leaders were getting buoyed up and getting strengthened. And we would mm-hmm. strengthen them not only with their skills base, but also with the spiritual ideas of uh, helping them to understand and grow in their testimony of Christ in those roles. Yeah. And so help me understand, like, again, the nitty-gritty of these things, like with these, these binders that you created, <laughs> what was in the binder? How did you go about it? Who created it? And that's sort of so we created a template um, as myself and the bishopric, and then for for some of those areas that we wanted to help the f- um, members out with, the ward clerk also helped us out as we were developing these, and the ward council to help develop the binders. Um, so you know, previous prime like a primary president obviously was involved with helping to ensure that the proper things for a primary presidency was there. So they would do that those type of things. But as far as like uh, putting the binders physically together, we would get them to you know give us what they would like to come inside of those binders, and then we would get the um, the ward clerk to do that um, and to help to create them. So we bought a bunch of through our Staples account <laughs> buying those white binders. But in the very beginning, the person's calling. So when we met with you and we would go over with you, this is your calling as a young man's president then we can, well, not anymore, <laughs> but as right. a, yeah. or as an advisor, young men, you can have a physical binder. You could open that up and then you see a letter right there. The very first thing is a letter from the bishopric signed with wet ink, not like uh, you know printed stuff, but yeah. wet ink that we yeah. actually signed this document. And then you flip over that and we have one of the talks that we used a lot was uh, get it. In, it was a, I forgot the conference title, but it was in combine or, or whatnot, but the point was, uh, you know, it's been a couple of years, almost a year now, right? Um, but the, right. the point of that talk was how we can help the, you know, how to serve in your calling. And we would use that a couple of these different talks that we use as examples so they can say, you know, help the members get underway. Then we'd give them resources, whether these were from the church's website regarding their role. And then we would supplement that with things relative to our area, so in South Florida, you know, like mm-hmm. as far as uh, how to is found how do you role as a gospel doctrine teacher or in, in our area or how to when you're leading a class um, how do you lead the gospel principles class um, being sensitive to certain issues that might be you know uh, might not be uh, appropriate for you know a, a, a group of, a group of new members or, or whatnot um, being that was heavy in our South Florida area um, and so things of that nature that was relative to that calling 
and that helped us yeah. out a lot. So basically you're just sort of giving them, it's like a, just a point of reference for them that you can hand it to them. It's something physical. They can go there if they have, you know, especially their beginning as far as where to, where to start with yeah. the class or with that calling. And over time I would imagine things got added to those, to those binders. Yeah. And I mean, even like the calendaring of, you know, some of the important things like stake or ward related activities. I mean, it sounds like these are basic things, right? You might say, yeah, you know, I've done this, but what I've come to realize is that a lot of us don't do necessarily what we know we're supposed to do on a day-to-day basis. And those not doing the activities or not doing those particular, you know, just telling a member here, you go and go find and be successful in your role doesn't necessarily constitute um, effectiveness. Um, and I can tell give you an example. There's one yep. sister that she was, she had never taken on, had a, many leadership roles. And then as a YSA, we had the YSA in our ward at the time, she received the calling and we did this binder, a thing for her. And it totally gave her the confidence and the direction she needed. She was able to then help, you know, help do her response, fulfill her calling. It wasn't, didn't feel like she was, you know, drowning with like work and, you know, raising kids. And she was, she had a son at the time and, um, you know, trying to, you know, help with these adults in our ward to find meaningful activity. She knew exactly what was working, what to do, how to help, uh, initiate how to run a, a group FHE. I mean, something like that sounds very simple, but imagine people not having done an FHE ever before. How do you do an FHE? Like just, that's yeah. not necessarily there in the handbook to say as a leader of a YSA, this is how you run a family home evening. It's not there. So how can we create those things? And that's what we did. And we did a lot of, we started doing videos in our bishopric. So uh, like doing screen huh. shares or explanation of things so that the next leader after us can know some of these uh, ways, the rhyme or reason for us doing it. Not that you're limiting them, but we preface this, like you will be led by the spirit, but here's what, how we did this particular thing, or here's how we not like the spiritual stuff, but like how we function in these roles or how do we find people to go to the Bishop's storehouse and so that they're not starting over from scratch and trying to, you know, figure these things out there. I think there's too often we, we, we see that in the church sometimes where it's kind of like uh, this one administration, so to speak is done. So then therefore we have to start over from scratch and do it this way. Why don't we just follow what has worked and why don't we have that continuity of training to make sure that we are not, we can focus on the things, the spiritual things and help members as well and not have to try to develop these um, granular stuff. Um, so I don't know yeah. if that answers the question when it comes towards binders. Yeah. So, and in the binders, would you reference these videos then that you, that you'd make so they know where to find them? Yeah. Or so would that, like the yeah. video component that was specifically, we've done that with the Bishop break, but we would then uh, have like, we had a Google drive uh, folder that we kept. And so the Bishop has like, you know, give them like a, or whatever, like, I, I just knew that responsibility when I came in it, there's so much with it. So I just documented everything and then also put these uh, quote unquote processes um, in place. Uh-huh. And then just did a screen share or did a you know, video recording of myself explaining some of those things. So then now the document, you can see like, you know, how do we typically find people for the Bishop's storehouse rather than getting those 2000 phone calls? Hey, Bishop uh, Kelly, how did you used to do this? It's like, Here's yeah. a video. And it's not that I didn't want to, I don't want to do that. It's just now that it alleviates that person to be able to know and have the education and then also to be able to get the counsel from the Lord and to tweak things accordingly. But so. yeah, I'm sure it, it made for a smooth transition from not only as the Bishop, but also uh, other callings, right? Yeah. 
And so do these same folders, they just get passed around as maybe a Sunday school present was released. They just pass the, the binder. Exactly. On. So then now that makes, cause when sometimes when people get released, it's just kind of like talk to brother Jones about his responsibility. Now you can have that brother Jones. And this is another critical piece when it comes towards just like safety in, in our age it was like keeping track of the keys in the building. We don't want just anyone and everyone to have keys. So then again, physical keys, <laughs> not the spiritual keys, right, right. but having the yeah. physical keys. So then brother Jones now, his key was seven two nine four three six. Well, that key goes to the Sunday school president, and that gets passed on. So the clerk is again in the handbook. Those things are there, but do we implement that? But then, how many people buildings have people roaming around keys? And this person was a primary president three years ago, but then they got called to a stake position. They have that key. It's that key needs to get transferred. So now the binders and the keys get transferred, and it's almost like a conclusion of your role. And the handoff, and then now the coaching. You can sit down and talk to that person and do a, you know, here's some of the things that you should be aware of. And that transition of information and intellectual, uh, you know, learnings was also able to pass off in that conversation or, or whatnot. Was it always perfect? Yeah. No, but this was something that helped out tremendously. Yeah, I really like that. And it's sort of, um, you know, I think 10, 15, 20 years ago, people remember that at least my experience, there were so, sometimes binders associated with the calling, but it was usually like, uh, you know, I remember early on being a high priest group leader and getting this binder and it was just sort of full of garbage, <laughs> yeah. like, like, uh, agenda items from, you know, the last four, you know, ward councils or something. And, and, uh, and so I'm sure maybe some of that stuff accumulates, but the main purpose isn't necessarily just to, to catch all these these things going back and forth, but mainly to make sure there's clear direction and purpose on what the calling is supposed to accomplish. Exactly. I mean, you take out those, you know, we do have templates for <laughs> the agendas on the Google drive. <laughs> uh-huh. So we you know some of those things that we, we saw that we did have uh, for folks. So if you want to get a template by all means, then go to the Google drive folder, but in the binder, it was really just what do you need to do to be effective in your role? And if, again, if I'm developing leaders, if I'm in a, an area where we don't have strong leaders and they uh, we're trying to help them, how in the world I'm going to give you an executive uh, management or mid-level management position when you really look at it and you've never had any mid-level management experience. And mm-hmm. that's where you see some of those emotional burnouts from folks where they feel intimidated by a calling and not able to serve in those areas. And we have the one-on-ones and you talk to them, it comes back down to this crisis could have been solved if we had helped this person to be more successful in their role their issue. Yeah. It's almost like more about the individual than it is the calling, right? percent. Just enabling that person to serve in that calling. And then it's not because people get frustrated, you know, they want to do a job, but maybe they, they don't know how, and, and nobody sat them down to, to teach them how, or, and now the, these resources make that available. And then also you feel like embarrassed too, you know, the bishopric, they're yeah. busy or the, you know, somebody who gave me this calling and now I need to go back to them. And they said they had belief and trust in me, but then now I am not able to fulfill that responsibility. So they sit on it and they just do. And, you know, it becomes to the point where, that they'll pray and try to get help. And then sometimes it, they just feel like it's, I mean, there's real emotions that tie back to this. It's not just, just go pray and figure it out. There's, mm-hmm. we, we can, we can do more to help our leaders to succeed. And that's what my experience have seen. A lot of times we just tell people go to the website or go figure it out. And you met with the Bishop and that was it. And those people, they struggle and they need help. Yeah. Not everyone, but again, it's just what we saw. Developing young yeah. leaders. 
I'm curious about your approach to one-on-one interviews. I would imagine, you know, you as the bishop weren't doing all those those interviews, but how did you go about stimulating those interviews, make sure that they're happening, and then any advice for one-to-one interviews? Yeah, tell them if they didn't do it, they're they're going to get excommunicated. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we did uh, for I met with since I oversaw Relief Society and Elders Quorum. I, those were areas that I met with. And at the time, ward mission leader, um, before it was underneath the, you know, the elders Quorum presidency, I met with them and the young men's president. So each week I just had one-on-one. So we did a, once a month, I had a one-on-one with them and we would schedule it out to my elders Quorum to my, um, executive secretary. So, um, much of the time, whether that's before my appointments in the evenings or, whether it was like uh, later after we had meetings, they didn't take the place of our my spiritual meetings with folks who needed help, but those were set times that I can meet with them. And in that, we had an agenda. So a set agenda that, you know, again, the, we had points, some of those things that we need to, that are reoccurring, like ministering or maybe challenges that they're facing, leadership uh, challenges or new callings that they're trying to, to have or upcoming activities that were relevant specifically to theirs that we don't need to discuss in ward council and take up time for that. But then in that one-on-one time, we could take care of those things or challenges that they were facing in their roles. But that's how we led them. Um, it was more of a, that you can count on that meeting happening so that you can come to me with your, those challenges. And then that we don't have a bunch of those, you know, offshoot random meetings, but now we had one place where we could come to. And obviously your elders quorum relief society got you on speed dial. So it was always here. You're, you're talking a lot, yeah. but the bulk of our stuff, we could say, okay, let's, we're going to like, we can table this for our meeting next week. And we could discuss you know, a little more details regarding sister so-and-so and this challenge she's having with her calling, or I need a new, you know, uh, this first counselor in Elvis Corn presidency, I'm working with some names, some people I'm thinking about, but I just want to put a bug in your ear for when we meet next week. Or here are some things about uh, ministering that we are looking at. We have some challenges. Maybe you can come with some, you can share with some ideas with me. Uh, and we, we would meet and counsel together in those one-on-ones. So it's not just me giving an advice, but it's me counseling with them and they counsel with me and rely on the spirit to help us to come to reasonable solutions. And I cannot tell you how many cool things came from those one-on-ones where we're able to solve problems and then to implement them and see them work out. And it came back down to you know, empower your leaders and guide them. And But I just the fact of doing that one-on-one, I knew it was critical from my experience in the business world. Same thing I saw with the when I came to a leadership and leading. So I made sure that was a priority with those leaders and to know that they're appreciated, that I care for them. And that's that's a sacred time that we have together to go over those things relative to their success in their role. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always found that, you know, sometimes word councils, they can, um, they can go long. Right. And it's sort of like, man, there's so much to talk about, like, and people have, you know, the, the discussion kept going, but usually when you, when you give the organizational leaders a place to be heard, whether that's in a one-to-one, you know, maybe with just a bishop or counselor or whatever, they'll be less likely to bring them up in ward council where they feel like this is the only time I can bring up my issue or, or talk about this thing or, you know, communicate information. So just creating more opportunities makes for a, a better ward council meeting. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent with that. And I, I learned hard with that at the very beginning. And we had our state president, um, he says, the handbook teaches that, you know, you should have work uh, counsel um, often. I mean, uh, it's, what does it say? I think it's like often or regularly. Yeah, regularly. Or he said regularly means uh-huh. every week. So, and he, so once <laughs> nice. a week we have word council, but the, here's the, the thing that we started to do when we developed this in our work. Does the Relief Society president need to come to every word council? 
going to answer is mm-hmm. if they're having effective one-on-ones and effective each organization, this was another meeting that they made sure they had a presidency meeting every week, then we didn't have that issue. So then now twice a month, the Relief Society president came and then the other weeks, her first counselor and second counselor came. They brought intel or information back to their presidency meeting and then that way information was being passed down that that needed to get accomplished. And then we also keep in touch with the ward WhatsApp so everyone was able to stay in touch. And the agenda for ward council is set. Like, so you know exactly which week we're discussing what. So Relief Society President, no, we're talking about welfare in the fourth week. She has that one on that she comes to. And then, you know, we're talking about, you know, our focus families, folks that we're trying to help reactivate on the second week. So then therefore she comes to that one. And then we're planning, or, you know, we're planning SACRA meeting the first week. So whatever accommodation, but then now we have that regular idea. The agenda gets sent out. Again, uh, theoretically, all the time, it didn't get sent out on yeah. that. But the uh, elders, Corps, <laughs> I mean, the executive secretary sent out that agenda. Everybody knows what their roles they're supposed to do and how they're going to, you know, what's going to be discussed. And then now that agenda can go back into the president's meeting and say, we've discussed last week um, focus families, and I wasn't able to, you went there, sister so and so. Tell me who are the updates on the Jacksons and the Morenses and the, the Kelly families. And then that way, information is getting passed down. One hour meeting doesn't need to be a three hour ward council, nice. <laughs> but weekly. Nice. So you, you held those ward councils regularly, but you were clear with the agenda, what would be talked about. So the individuals knew whether they would be there or not. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't a, always a weekly meeting for everybody. No, the, but the, it wasn't, yeah, not for everyone. But then again, those leaders. So who are going to pick for Relief Society president potentially? I mean, you're going to look at the, I mean, just, you're going to look at some of the counselors or people, obviously you can look throughout the words, but we're developing those uh, first and second counselors to understand what's going on in ward council by having them come one week a month and sharing that mm-hmm. burden so that now they can help out the Relief Society president and that she doesn't have to be there every week. Same thing with Elders Quorum, same thing with young men's and uh, young women's at the time. Nice. And did you have some meetings where you particularly asked everybody to be there depending on yeah. um, there's just some big items that need to be talked yeah, about. Yeah, right? we would have those and we would do the extended ward council and say everyone, you know, come to that. And back in the days it was easy to feed them. So we would <laughs> yeah. say come everyone into the morning meeting and uh, we would get like, you know, you know, food the day before or some stuff that wasn't going to yeah. be bad or, you know, get uh, the crock pots and do some, everyone, you know, do a <laughs> bunch of eggs or omelet type things so that they can have oh, cool. a, a little breakfast while we were meeting and do a training with them in that in their capacity. Love it. Love it. Cool. Well, we've sort of danced all over yeah. some of these, uh, these points that you mentioned, maybe conflated some, but anything else as far as like that, just the concept of, of developing leaders in your experience that we haven't touched on? Or- no, I think we hit on, especially with that last one. I, I, for when I was, I saw sometimes when I was uh, elders quorum in the elders quorum presidency, I didn't know what happened in ward council until I went to a ward council when I was called as an elders quorum mm-hmm. president. But imagine if I had that opportunity, like once a month to go and to hear and to understand. I mean, it's not like anything that's not privy to us as a discussion. And a bishop, Rick, was able to be, you know, mindful of those things that were appropriate. But why can't a first counselor and eldest quorum presidency understand some of those things that the eldest quorum president wouldn't necessarily you know, need to discuss? The decisions finally come down to that eldest quorum president, but it's almost like I am giving that leader an opportunity to understand so that they're not blindsided. But again, we in our area, we had a leadership deficit. So we wanted to make sure that everyone, like for instance, on active Sundays, we have like 30 
priesthood brethren at church at times at 30 to 45, mm-hmm. right? On Sunday. Then you have the women who you have so many of them because they're so much more faithful than some guys at times. <laughs> but you know, the point though is, can we get those brethren, how many of those brethren can we look at that weren't at stake responsibilities to develop them and have them become priesthood holders? Uh, I mean, to become a potential leaders in Elders Quorum or Sunday school or, or whatnot. And that's one of those things that we did. So the one-on-ones, the guidance with their roles, the opportunity to take part in leadership, and then asking more of them because now we've given you the direction and training. Let's not let you be a lump on a log. How can I help this individual practice the priest or practice their role or practice their, their responsibility as a second counselor in the Relief Society presidency to be effective? And um, those are some of the things that we did to develop those leaders to help them to be candidates for future roles, wherever the Lord, whoever the Lord was to call at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So you're always just keeping in mind those that are up and coming or, you know, I I served as a bishop and I think in a similar area where you didn't have established, you know, long lasting families who'd been there forever. And so you're always trying to think, how can I expose as many people to, uh, you know, the ward organizations so that they can maybe pick up and and run the football further down (laughs) the field, you know, when they, when the other guy moves, you know? Yeah. So it's always an ongoing thing. So uh, this last principle, and maybe you've touched on sure. it just, uh, but never assuming. Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, it goes back to that concept uh, from when you assume someone, I've assumed so many times that someone understood a responsibility or understood a role, and then that did not get to fruition. Like, you know, we might say, well, I spoke with them when I called them. You know, one of my counselors might say, I spoke with them and I explained to them the calling, and I assumed they understood what they are supposed to do. But, you know, two months later, like say, well, what, why we don't have anything for primary? Well, I, yeah. I, I, I told them they needed to do these things and this is what primary does, but we assumed that they understood. So we never assumed in any of those responsibilities, any of those roles. You spell everything out again with that calling and with those responsibilities and we go over it. Like one of the things that I've seen when we issue a calling, somebody, you know, accept that calling, we would then use that binder to then that same binder to, to kind of show them like say, okay, here's some of those responsibilities that you have as a primary president. Here's some of those things, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have you set up. I'm going to connect you with the previous prime, with the primary president. So you all can meet and set up that meeting and kind of helping to ensure that happens rather than assuming that sister so-and-so is going to connect with sister so-and-so send a text message. Um, sister so-and-so just want to make sure that you connect with sister so-and-so so you guys can meet for that appointment. And then now that ensures that it's happening. And then the bishopric member that's over primary, he's also facilitating and running the the point on that to ensure that that meeting happens and that the information is transferred. But we can't just assume that people understand. So always to the 10th degree, especially when you're developing leaders, spell it out as granular as possible. At least let them start off with that and they can change it as they you know grow. But that was our experience. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Well, any other principle that I hope I didn't uh, pass over, but any, any other that, that we didn't hit on that you want to make sure we hit on? I mean, I think we hit on a lot of it there uh, when it comes towards, you know, again, developing leaders and, and helping leaders to, to grow in their role and their responsibility. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we, we covered a lot there, but I'd say the cool. biggest piece is just gu- uh, making sure the mentor and the guidance and the coaching um, is, is there and, and I, especially in areas where you don't have a lot of resources, we just don't have a lot of members um, to, to, you know, make things happen all the time. You get creative and we, we, in our, in our neck of the woods, we, we have to get creative with a, in, in an economically challenged area is what I've called it at times. 
um, with the with some of our membership, we people work a lot, and we just have to figure out ways to to help them and to make sure things happen. Yeah. Love it. Well, I want to make sure I got one more question for you, but I want to make sure if there's obviously some, some sales guys out there or marketing (laughs) guys out there and they're intrigued by, by your resource. If people want to find out more about you and what you do, where would you send them? They can go to the salesevangelist.com. So that's my company's website and you can connect with me there or connect with me on LinkedIn, Donald C. Kelly. Uh, You can find me there. That's that. And you're a fellow podcaster as well. So So, yeah. And you can check out our podcast there, the sales evangelist podcast. So we, we love that. Uh, it's fun hobby. (laughs) We grew our business towards that today. So last question I have for you, just uh, think back on your time as a leader, as, as a Bishop, Uh, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? It helped me to understand a couple of things, Kurt. The first piece was I came to understand the atonement (laughs) of Jesus Christ. in such, uh, it's so much more. Um, not that I'm a, a scholar of the atonement or anything like that. Uh, it just made more sense to me, like why this uh, this atonement and this need to forgive and to look at individuals with love, um, and and the idea of charity charity was there. So I started to, I mean, I met, especially when people came to me and were sharing the challenges or you know sins or mistakes that they have made. You know, most time the adversary wants you to think that yes, you're a bad person, but the Savior wants you to just know that I love you, I care for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I'm here to to help you. Just come on to me. And that concept, I saw how it started to uh, rub off, so to speak, on me as a leader. I didn't see anyone with like you know who made a mistake, and I was like, oh man, I can't believe you made a mistake. It was like, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful that you're coming here to, to come for help. I want to guide you. I want you to go to the Savior, and I want to show you you know, how you can, you know, have that peace from him because his atonement will help you. That was the very first thing. So I started to love people a little more. And I, I mean, I know it sounds like basic, but I'm just dead serious, man. It's just, I really saw people differently. And the second piece is that now as I followed, as I was trying to become a better leader, the only person I can look to for an example is Jesus Christ. And the only way that I can become better at leader like Christ was to emulate him so my scripture study became even more richer and my experiences with like, you know, making sure you go into the temple um, and having those experiences and the, the fasting and those things, all of that drew me, like it pushed me to make sure that I was going to Christ. Even with all of these things that I shared, you know, we can do the binders and so forth, but there's nothing that comes back down to it. When you can't, binders can't help somebody to come onto Christ. What really helps that person is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the only way that I can guide somebody to Christ is if I know where he's at and how I can follow him. So as a leader, sticking close to Christ and trying to do my best to follow him helped me to be able to guide some of our members and those that we led to come on to him and to follow him. That concludes my interview with Donald Kelly. Definitely check him out, if, especially if you're in the sales industry at this, thesalesevangelist.com. Subscribe to his podcast and uh, he will continue to teach you just like he has today. I would love to get your input. We're getting a lot of emails in of ideas of individuals that we could reach out to and interview for the How I Lead segment, but keep them coming. We want to get a long list to consider. We probably won't be able to interview everybody, but... Uh, 
we'll, we'll find the gems, the, the people with the unique ideas, the uh, dynamic leaders that can maybe inspire you uh, to, to lead in a new, refreshing way. So go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and submit all the information there. Maybe talk with the individual beforehand so that you don't recommend somebody who's definitely going to say no. Uh, and we'll reach out to them and see if they would be open to that. So leadingsaints.org slash contact. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three most popular sessions of the Liberating Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.